The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God said the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then then the angel left her. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for just your provision, your provision in our daily lives. And Lord, the provision that we see here in this account of, of Mary, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our mind this morning so that we can see how this um, just reveals truths about you and also reveals truths about um, how we take part in your big story. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I am uh, delighted to be with you again, although um, this is probably at uh, Randall's expense, so um, be praying for the Tanini family. Got a call late last night. Uh, well, it felt late. Um, it's a little after 7, and... Uh, <coughs> Bedtime is 7.30, felt late. Uh, but um, So it's like, okay, um, great, I've got a sermon. It's called um, Hail Mary. Um, it's uh, not a reference to uh, a football play or the next time I have a chorizo burrito in Mexico. Um, it actually has um, more to do with um, my sense of preparation for this morning. No, I'm kidding. You know, it's a, it's a Christmas passage, this Luke chapter 1 with Mary. And uh, what's interesting about it is I'm not so interested about the fact that it's a Christmassy sort of a thing, but the theme that I'm interested in talking about is the idea of disruptive grace. Disruptive grace. Um, and what I want to say is that disruptions in life are not always gifts of grace, but gifts of grace in life are always disruptive. Gifts of grace are always disruptive in our life. You know, we're in the 15th year of this pandemic, and um, (laughs) it's kind of hard to see. I mean, we see all this disease and suffering. Um, We see social injustice creeping to the fore, and we see a lot of things that are broken. And so, yes, of course, in the hands of an almighty God who loves us, right, and cares, 
um, we can understand that God uses all things for his glory and his purpose, but that's not what I'm talking about today. I don't want to talk about how God turns difficult things to his glory and how we can see his grace in it. What I'm interested in talking about is how when God's grace infests our lives, it becomes disruptive. Disruptive grace. There are so many stories of men and women in scriptures, which I just absolutely love, because we see how their lives are upset by the anointing of the Lord, by grace showing up. You might think of the person Gideon, you know, that mighty warrior who was threshing wheat inside of a wine press, hiding the wheat because he didn't want to get like beat up by the Midianites. Um, but nonetheless, after some, a fair amount of convincing, you know, the whole fleece is wet, dries ground, the, the ground is dry, and then the next day the ground is wet and the fleece, that whole thing, he's like, okay, um, I guess I'll do this. And uh, sure enough, um, the Lord uses him uh, to deliver Israel from the Midianites. A friend of mine says, you know what, even clumsy obedience is uh, and can be courageous obedience. I love the very human stories, the very real descriptions of people, the people that God uses in the pages of Scripture. And um, it's, it's very human in terms of their disbelief. And uh, it's this stuttering obedience of one needing to be convinced that a perfect God can use an imperfect person uh, like Gideon or like me or like you. And so you and I tend to think that God typically uses really special people to do his bidding. Um, but the real lesson is that our God especially uses real people to do his bidding. Real people. People like you and me, we don't walk on water. We're not particularly good at memorizing scripture. You know, we're the ones that, you know, we stumble when we pray out loud. Uh, and perhaps we're a little bit more comfortable um, hiding our faith choosing to live it out in a wine press rather than having to be um, attacked by the mighty hordes. People like you and me, that kind of real people, that's who God chooses to use. That's the kind of people that he graces. He favors, same word. He calls by virtue of his gracing upon us. And he gives us the honor and the joy of being used by him for his purposes. And this all happens when we encounter God's grace. And sometimes that encounter is abrupt and dramatic. And sometimes it's a slow dawning and yet unmistakable. Either way, it winds up being disruptive in our lives. So, you read the passage. Let's jump in. If you're looking for someone in the pages of scripture whose lives have been absolutely disrupted by God's grace showing up, Mary counts. Think about it. The three points, the three points in today's sermon, because every sermon requires three points, <laughs> is really three phrases which coupled together is the big idea for today. Full of favor means full of disruption. So don't be surprised or expect to be surprised and rejoice and glorify the Lord. 
And for those of you that are paying attention to the clock, really, I only have one point. You'll realize this. And it's all under point one. If you get worried about when we're going to finish, don't worry. The second and third points go quickly. Full of favor means full of disruption. The angel Gabriel shows up and says to Mary, Greetings, you who are highly favored. That's in the NIV. And many of you will recognize this as a part of the rosary prayer, which begins with, Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail, it's just a word of greeting. Greetings, it's a congratulatory thing. It's a celebrate. It's hooray. Full of grace. Full of grace. It's an imperative. Hail. And when Gabriel says, you who are highly favored, you have been greatly graced, literally is what it means, um, and it's like, okay, great. I don't know how you would have handled that. You know, Gabriel shows up. Every time an angel shows up in scriptures, there's fear, right? Here's Gabriel. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know, seven, eight foot tall. I mean, you can probably see through him. There's glory shining. You know, it's beautiful. If you didn't know better, you'd be tempted to worship, right, Gabriel, because it's such an otherworldly sort of uh, experience. And it's like, all right, Gabriel shows up, says, Greetings, you've been highly favored. I don't know how you would have handled that, um, but I would have been stunned. I don't even, I don't know how to think about it. And then the very next phrase is where, like, you want to pay attention. Still in verse 28, what Gabriel says is, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Now, if you're a good Jewish kid and you know the scriptures and you know the way in which the, our faithful God has been uh, faithful to his people Israel, you, when you hear the word, the Lord is with you, when you couple it with the appearance of this mysterious glowing creature, what does that make you think of? Any good Jewish kids here? The story of Gideon. When Gabriel, when Gabriel approached him, when he was in the wine press. And he used exactly the same words, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. The Lord is with you. And I don't know. She's thinking, Gabriel? The same words? O-M-J, Jehovah. <laughs> this is what happened to Gideon. Is that what's happening to me? What? Is God going to use me in some powerfully redemptive way? Me, an unwed teenage girl raised in a tiny backwater town? In verse 29, we find that Mary was greatly troubled by these words. And this is where the disruption begins to show up. Wait, what? Surely I'm not going to be as useful to God, to you, like Gideon was. How could, how could you possibly use me to deliver salvation to his people? Okay, wait, do I have to go somewhere? I mean, I got plans to get married to this really cool guy named Joseph. What mighty redemptive act might you be calling me to? I mean, we're planning on having a family, living happily ever after. The business will grow. We'll join the Chamber of Commerce. We'll have 2.5 kids and a dog. And yeah, he may not be a dentist, but he will have free carpentry for life. 
that's not going to get disrupted too, will it? And I'd simply like to notice that being full of grace, having been highly graced, does not mean that your life will be disruption-free. It may actually mean that you will experience more disruption than you ever cared to hope for. Verses 30 and 32, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Again, the word for grace. And to summarize, Gabriel says, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Okay, wait a minute. Favor, grace. I am going to give birth to the Son of God. An immaculate conception is going to be difficult to explain. It's going to be a tough sell. It's going to be scandalous. People will think that I was not a good Jewish girl. What will my family do or say? What will the neighbors think or say? What's Joseph going to think? Will he still love me? Will we still get married? And could we? And then what's going to become of me? Will I be hurried away off to some far-off town to live with distant relatives? How will I, how will my family manage to shame? And how will I make a living? What will become of me in this highly patriarchal society? Mary was greatly troubled. And each of us in that situation would be as well. Now, I don't know what Mary thought because it's not recorded, but I don't think these thoughts are too far-fetched. I imagine these things in her response because they are so reassuringly human. None of the hopes, none of the longings, none of the desires that I just imagined Mary to have um, is, is necessarily wrong. And in fact, I believe they are okay to hope for and to long for and to desire. The problem, of course, is when we desire and long for these things and pursue them more than we desire or long or pursue God. We all long to be loved. We all long for food on the table and a roof over our head. We all long for work that is meaningful, that is easy uh, and well-paying. We long for a safe and a healthy life for ourselves and for our kids. We want these things. And yet there are times in my daily work where I wish I didn't have to write budgets, I didn't have to fill out paperwork because of California human resource laws. Don't get me started. There are times in which I wish I married a carpenter. Perhaps more often there are times in which I wish my wife had married a plumber. That's a different story. But thinking more broadly... There are times when I wish that being greatly graced by God meant that I did not have to deal with uncomfortable things that happened to me that, quite frankly, his gracing upon me calls me to. Things like seeing injustice, racial or otherwise. When I see 
inequity of any type. COVID politics makes this world an awfully complicated place to live in today. And yet here we are. The world in which we find ourselves and the world in which God has placed us. The Lord in which by virtue of his gracing upon us, he's asked us to be a redemptive presence in. When grace invades our life, what we desire, what we long for, should be disrupted. Must get disrupted. And it's a good thing. Ran across this quote um, by Dallas Willard in uh, his book, Life Without Lack. And he writes about desire, saying that human desire is infinite by its nature. It cannot be satisfied. He continues, desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. Our infinite desire can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all of our needs. We are only at home in God. Now, think about that. Insatiable desire. If you think about it, and if you want an explanation for why you have a few habitual sins, behaviors that you simply cannot seem to shake, or ways of talking toward others that you wish you didn't and just can't seem to change, or ways of thinking or relating that you wish simply were not a part of you, this is why. Willard continues, and he says, when we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains but it gets displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. You see, this then is where disruption can actually be a good thing. Any good desire, health, well-being, prosperity, being smart, having smart and successful children, fame, good reputation, the approval of others, fill in the blank with your own kryptonite. When desired in the right order relative to our desire for God, it's fine and good. When we're satisfied in God and we live for him, we run on him, and shortly when we place our hope and our priority of relationship upon him to satisfy our infinite desires, these other desires remain good. We wind up pursuing these things because they're good and not God. In fact, when rightly ordered, these things behind God, uh, these things under the authority and the reign of God, actually begin to resemble the abundant life that Jesus came to give. It's good. But it's only good when it's pursued in the right order. I'm still trying to process the events of almost exactly a year ago, uh, the insurrection uh, in Washington, D.C., Certainly last week there was a lot of that in the news because it was a one-year anniversary. But here you have this horde of angry, I'm going to call them Trump supporters, ransacking the Capitol and the Senate offices, breaking windows, terrorizing the Senate while they're you know, in the Senate chambers. People died. Tear gas was fired. Members of the Capitol Police eventually committed suicide in this past year. 
the Confederate flag waving at the Capitol, guns drawn. And there were signs, and you can Google it. Jesus is my Savior. Trump is my president. Now, I don't know how you took the news, but that greatly disturbed me. What is that? How do we interpret the cultural moment? I can't or I won't comment on how many people that were there were white supremacists or according to other narratives, how many there were part of Antifa demonstrating for something they desired and hoped for so greatly that they were willing to riot. I can't comment on how many people believe that the reign of any American president should be more authoritative than the reign of Jesus of Nazareth. I will say that any Christian that believes this does give me great concern and points to what some have coined a post-Christian Christianity. I can't comment regarding the disordered love and devotion that elected officials tasked with governing for the common good didn't. But I can say that displacing our infinite desire and placing it on any created thing or political party or person will certainly lead to destruction. James K.A. Smith um, writes uh, in one of his books that our idolatries are less like conscious decisions to believe a falsehood and more like learned dispositions to hope in what will ultimately disappoint. You see, our, in, our idolatries are not intellectual. They are affective. They are instances of disordered love and devotion. Idolatry is caught more than it is taught. We practice our way into idolatries. We absorb them from the water in which we swim. Hence, our idolatries often reflect the ethos of our environments. Disordered love and devotion. That becomes the problem. Back to Mary. Like Mary, we too have been greatly graced. We have been highly favored. We too have been graced beyond imagination. And I would think that being greatly graced, have been highly favored, would mean disruption could and should be embraced as the means by which God graciously prompts us or pokes us to see just how tight our grip is on something. And wouldn't it be just like our gracious Heavenly Father to help us get perspective on the thing that we long for instead of perhaps the one that we ultimately long for? And like Mary, we shouldn't be surprised if we begin to experience all kinds of disruption and dissonance because being full of grace means being full of disruption. So expect to be surprised. Just briefly, verse 34, how will this be because I'm a virgin? Surprise. I'm not going to explain the biology. Didn't have the courage to talk birds and bees with our kids. I totally identify with that guy. You know, it's like, Dad, where, where do babies come from? Storks. Storks. 
Gabriel takes a, a stab at explaining this whole thing, this mysterious thing that uh, we like, as theologians like to call it. And even he doesn't give a whole lot of detail, but in verse 35 he says, the Holy One will, that will be born to you will be called the Son of God. And in fact, in verse 36, just so you know this is going to happen, Elizabeth will have a child in her old age. It's crazy. Surprise. I love the words of that song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, did you know that your, your baby boy will one day save our sons and daughters? Surprise. Did you know that the child you delivered will soon be delivering you? Surprise. Your baby boy will give sight to the blind man and calm the storm with his hand? And did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? Surprise. God rarely works in the ways in which we expect. How could God use a valiant warrior hiding in a wine press? Surprise. How does God use a poor, teenage, unwed girl to deliver his people and to bless the nations of the world? Surprise. You see, through the work of this baby boy, we too have been greatly favored. If you're still considering the claims of Christ, right, and you're still trying to make sense of that, one of the things that you want to realize and that we all need a reminder of is that um, we have been saved from so much more than merely having to pay the penalty of our sins. Yes, of course, Jesus' death on the cross means that we no longer have to figure out how to be able to deal with the, that offense. But the work of Jesus on the cross means also that we get delivered from the inordinate desires and the things that have a hold over us that control the way in which we treat others the way in which we find, find ourselves defensively you know, arguing back with the people that we love the most. All of our own devices of misplaced desire and longings and yearnings that we're trying to place on something like winning an argument instead of placing upon our Lord are the things that lead us to ruin. And Jesus' work on the cross delivers us from that as well. God's grace disrupts us. We're disrupted in our idea of who God uses. Yes, poor teenage girl. Yes, fearful, valiant warrior. Yes, even someone like me. God disrupts our idea of whether or not I have any place in God's redemptive purposes in the world. Yes, even a stay-at-home parent with fiddly kids. God disrupts my nice, orderly categories of how God ought to act. And we are delivered from the folly and downright imprisonment to insatiable desires that we place upon things and ideas and people that will only ruin us. And we'll know that because we find ourselves dividing rather than serving the common good and loving our world to life. Being highly favored means um, lots of disruption. So expect to be surprised. And then I think this is really why it's so remarkable when we look at the life of Mary and that is her response 
to this incredible revelation, the dissonance that happens in our head. Mary's response, I mean, I could see a whole range of responses from, okay, to like, um, right, uh, I mean, I don't know, that's me. And she may have had a lot of things that she hoped for, longed for, perhaps looking forward to, but her response in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I'm in. The emoji, right? 100%. Wow. Verse 46, she goes and visits Elizabeth. Like, wow. And then we have the beautiful words of Mary's song. First line of which is my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I don't know if she knew what she was in for. I have no idea. I'm just telling you how I would have imagined her thought process would have went. But I'm like, to have the kind of understanding, the understanding of the scriptures regarding how God worked with Gideon and the same words of Gabriel showing up on her doorstep, Thinking about her hopes and dreams and saying, may it be to me as you have said. Isn't that the response we want to have? Isn't that the response we would expect to have if we understood that being highly graced meant being highly disrupted? (laughs) It's good. It is good. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we repent for the many ways in which we place you into our own little categories, the boxes in which we think you ought to act and think and behave. And we repent, Lord, of the ways in which we think that um, surrendering our lives to you might mean that, (laughs) that everything will go smooth after that. And we repent, Lord, that we recognize that there are times in which we find ourselves being called into situations and places and things where we'd much rather not be and yet you have called us to that. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy and that you use broken and frail people in, in, the, in the pages of Scripture and that that humanizes the challenge and it allows me to be who I am. So, Father, would you bless my friends here and help them realize that you have graced them greatly, that you are calling them into disruption and that's a good thing and may our response be amen in jesus name we pray amen thank you for listening to this resource from grace city church if you found this helpful feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com grace city church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life